Welcome to Leadership Reimagined. I'm Dr. Jane Lovis, your host. During each episode of Leadership Reimagined, we take a look at leadership from the vantage point of what it's going to take for leaders to lead their organizations forward into a new future. And in this episode, we're creating that new future. Today, I'd like to introduce Tom Caresti, founder and CEO of International Leadership Disciples, where Tom transforms people into leaders. He will help you unleash your leadership potential through four proven keys to leadership. Tom is also an industry influencer who adds values, value to individuals and companies, helping their, them reach their highest potential through these life-changing principles. So join me in welcoming Tom. Tom, what would you like to share before we get, as we get started? Well, first, a quick thank you for having me on. Um, second, I just uh, want to pass on some, some wisdom that I learned over the last, you know, 34 years. I always think it's much easier to learn through other people's mistakes than your own. <laughs> it's just a lot, it's a lot more painful when you make mistakes. So um, it's a lot less painful when you learn from others. So God knows I made a lot of mistakes in, in my journey over the last, you know, 30, 40 years in uh, corporate America and as an entrepreneur starting my own businesses. So anything that I learned that I can pass along and save some people some pain, that's great. Yes. Well, that's that's why we're here, actually, to to, you know, look at leadership and what's it what do we need as we move forward? Um, you know, we're we're beginning to come out of covid and yet there are things that have were transformed during covid that we're not going to be going back. Um, and we don't even know what all of that looks like yet. You know, with everybody working from home, so many people working from home and remote work and and the number of employees that are saying they want to work remotely, you know, it's just it's going to take make a real difference in how leaders lead all of this. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that. That's actually one of my recent pet peeves since COVID-19. So when we talk about the four keys, uh, one of the keys uh, to me is, in, and again, in a corporate or co company environment, is, is corporate culture. Um, and, and corporate culture is, is, um, has to be intentionally addressed with the new work environment. You know, it's when we were in an environment where people could meet by the coffee machine, when people met in person in conference rooms, when people met... Um, in, in business settings, it was always human-to-human -human interaction in a person-to-person -person setting. So reinforcing company culture was not relatively easy, but relatively known in that environment to say, okay, well, look, it's not about posters in the wall. It's also about, you know, how people see others treating each other, how people interact. And, and that is all changing with the world of Zoom, with the world of virtual meetings, etc. So um, I'm not saying that corporate culture is not as important now. It's extremely important, probably even more so. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is that we have to address it and reinforce it slightly different. So we have to kind of pivot a little bit on corporate culture. Um, and, and what we used to do two years ago to reinforce corporate culture may not be the same with all this virtual stuff going on. Ex ex yes. 
and what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing you say is there, there's a different level of intentionality. Because like you say, when everybody's in a building and, and sharing or, or even, you know, if there's multiple buildings and people are going back and forth, some people, the culture is, is maintained through those interactions. And, yeah. and it actually, it oftentimes starts to change because of those interactions when people aren't really aware what the culture is. So, there's so, you know, simply put, I mean, I think culture is is one of those things that it will happen whether you like it or not. Right. So so culture, it, it's it's sort of like a, a vacuum and, and it fills itself. And if you're not intentional about how you fill that vacuum, you will end up with a culture. But it may be a culture you don't want or you don't like. You will so you always have, have a you will yeah. always have a culture. Exactly. <laughs> So, yeah, so as we look forward, if, if our life habits are changing and the way we work are changing, uh, if we don't pay attention, we'll end up with a culture, but it may be not a culture that we like. So we have to be intentional uh, about how we deal with culture in this new type of environment. Mm -hmm. I, totally, I totally agree, which actually means talking about it and reinforcing it because in when everybody's in a building it can be much more you know new employees come in and they see what others do exactly we're not that is much harder on the virtual on yeah virtual. so um unfortunately i don't have the answer I mean, no. I, I don't know what the right answer is all i know is it's a problem that we're gonna have to address right right and and there may not be a right answer it's for anybody oftentimes these challenges are look acknowledge the challenge and then then and ask the questions and then answers start to come i yeah, mean you, hopefully. yeah so so we need to leaders need to be really intentional and aware of their culture and the culture that they really that they're committed to creating yeah, yeah. Um, you know, whether it's a culture that already exists and it's been well-defined, mm -hmm. um, and just, again, finding a different way to reinforcing it. You know, obviously, I don't care what kind of organization you are. If you're a virtual organization or a, you know, a mom-and-pop store or a fast food, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, what organization you have. You have to be intentional about having a culture. So if you don't have a culture, well, you know, I suggest very quickly you, you figure out what you want to do and start doing it. Yeah. Um, so... It's one of those things that are non-negotiable. And the funny thing is, it's such a simple word, you know, culture, right? Um, but we are so bad at it. You know, there, there's just like so many companies that think that, you know, having some, you know, buzzword or busing and putting a poster on the wall um, and, and that addresses everything. Uh, so, you know, it's just a shame that everybody knows we should have a culture. Everybody talks about a culture. <laughs> We're doing a terrible job at it in most companies. I know. I was reading an article about, I can't, it was like the four words you should not put in your culture. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. What are those words going to be? Well, two of them just so stood out, especially with some of the things that are going on in the world. They said you should not put integrity in your culture 
because if you have to claim it, you don't have it. Except that there's, you see so many companies that don't have it and don't have it in their call. It's like they're not even aware of it. And the other one was um, customer service. Yeah. And, you know, okay, maybe the, we should... Maybe those are like the base, but in many respects, we've got people that have forgotten what the base is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, if you have to tell people to serve their customers, then okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's that's why most of uh, most businesses are in business because they either you know serving customers or selling to customers or so that's somehow and, right. And just like customer service, it's it's kind of funny because. Um, you know, I've been around the block a few times as you can see, you know, I'm not 20 years old, but yeah. customer service was not something that you heard like 40 years ago. Right? And then, you know, all of a sudden there was this buzzword about customer service. And then as that evolved over time, now customer service is like every time somebody gets a call from customer service is like, all right, it's collections. <laughs> I mean, you know, we call collections customer service. It's, it's like the, 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 the words are just so, you know, bastardized these days. Um, you know, look, culture. I mean, let, let's just for a second think about culture. What, what is the first thing that jumps to uh, everybody's mind today when we talk about culture? It's cancel culture. Yeah. I mean, you know, all of a sudden the United States has a culture of cancel culture. That's all you hear about on the news, cancel culture. Cancel Dr. Seuss, cancel this, cancel that. So, you know, it, it, it's like culture is not just for companies. It, it's also for cities. I, I was on a, a podcast for Smart Cities um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and we were talking about culture and how different cities and different countries have different cultures. I mean, you know, if you go to Barcelona, the culture of Barcelona is going to be very different than the culture of uh, uh, Florence, Italy, or London, England, or, you know, Chicago. I mean, even Cities have cultures and countries have cultures. You know, Brazil's culture is going to be very different than the United States culture. So, you know, we define these cultures and and I don't know where cancel culture came from the U.S. I mean, I don't think it was designed. I think yeah. all of a sudden, you know, it was one of those things where we didn't pay attention and boom, it was upon us. Mm -hmm. right? So that's what I mean by culture. If, you, if you're not careful about and you're not intentional about, you know, all of a sudden you end up with a culture that you, you, you meant not to be there, but boom, it's there. Right, right. Yeah, so, so, and that's, and unlike a city that it's much more challenging to change the culture once it's started with an organization, as a leader, you do have a way to influence that. Absolutely. Not only do you have a way, you should have. You, you, you should you, be. You actually, right, yes, you should you be. You should be national about it. Yeah. And by the way, it's not easy because um, in, in some sense, a, a culture in a city is even more easier to do than a multinational organization because, you know, in a city, um, you know, everybody kind of grew up in a city with the same habits. It's, it's you know, that culture is, is you know, hundreds of years old, if, if not more, if it's, a, you know, an older, older city. And then mm -hmm. when you deal with an international company, you know, you have, you know, Brazil subsidiary, you have South Africa subsidiary, you have... Germany subsidiaries. It's, uh, you have all these uh, all over the globe. You have these these subsidiaries where the local people may not necessarily understand what that corporate culture is. So you got to fight twice as hard 
for the locals to buy into it and understand it's like that that actually makes sense mm-hmm very true and and that's you know which which involves lots of conversations yeah. lots of communication lots of sharing um, because that's how culture gets created is in that sharing and acknowledging of what people are doing because then you reinforce that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the examples I use is uh, VMware. VMware is, a, you know, it's a basically a very large tech company out of Silicon Valley, and I think um, they have, I think, at least 10,000 employees or more worldwide. Um, you know, it's, it's company has, I think, like 12 billion or something. So it's, it's a, you know, rather large company. And uh, a number of years ago, I met Pat Gelsinger, who was the, uh, he's a fellow Christian guy like me, and uh, he's the CEO of, uh, of VMware, and their culture is defined by Epic Square, so E-P-I-C-C. One of the C stands for community, right? So I asked Pat, I said, well, you know, we're all over the world. I said, how do you reinforce, you know, that culture? The guy didn't miss a beat. Like within a second, he answered, he says, well, here's an example, Tom. We had a sales meeting in China the other day, and you know, like any sales meetings, the guys want to go out, they want to drink, they want to party and all that stuff. But he said the next morning, everybody had to go get up and then um, they had to do community service and, and help rebuilding a, you know, some ancient Chinese structure, whatever that was. But they, they all helped in, they had to get up early and they had to, you know, give to the local community to give back and, and volunteer manual labor. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's reinforcing their culture. You know, one of the C's is for community. Yeah. And um, they take opportunities that whenever there's an event, um, they give back to the community. That's really a great way to do that is yeah. to to keep it's to keep overtly reinforcing what your culture is and the yeah. aspects of it that are important. And one of the nice things about culture, and, I, and I, I'm so passionate about it, so I just got ramble on. So if you want to stop, just stop no, me. No, <laughs> no, I love culture too. So it's. <laughs> But, but one of the things that's great about culture, uh, you know, culture, culture is also defined, one of the fundamental definitions of culture is the values. Mm -hmm. right? In fact, you start with the values, and then once you define what your values are, then you kind of define what your culture is. But it is a great um, tool in any organization to hold your colleagues, your bosses, your superiors, whatever, the CEO, accountable for their actions. Right? Because once you define the culture, once you define those values, and those are common values and common culture to the whole organization, I don't care if you're the janitor or the CEO, you have to hold those values and cultures dear, and mm -hmm. you have to enforce them. And if you're not, it's easy for anyone in your organization just to call you out and say, hey, that's not our culture. That, that's not living our values. Um, and then, you know, that separates the phonies from the real ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I wonder... You know, if when you look at some of the, some of the things that that happen in organizations, if people actually felt safe to call yeah. a senior executive out for, you know, for what's clearly not part of their culture. And so I think that's a part of it, too, is making creating that safe space so that the culture, the culture is really alive and that people are, are living it and showing it 
because I've been in organizations where you you really wonder who's living the culture, you know. Well, and then, then in those organizations, there's just a poster on the wall, and it's exactly. not really a culture. It's just, you know, basically hogwash. Well, and, and their culture is definitely not what they say it is because you have a culture. There is no such thing as a, a community without a culture. So, yeah. so a people that get together regularly just automatically develop a culture because that becomes your norms. Absolutely. So what, what would you say is like one of your biggest challenges that really turned out like really positive in talking with somebody and, and bringing awareness to the importance of culture? You know, I was always good at, uh, in my own organization, uh, trying to, to live the, the culture. So, for example, um, uh, one of the, uh, when I ran a company uh, probably a number of years ago, this was back in maybe early 2000, and, um, you know, we, we had a culture, and um, one, of the, one of the values we had was honesty. Um, and this was a uh, this was a company in Eastern Europe, early on in the days where you know the Iron Curtain came down. Uh, so it was well, I, feel, I guess it was about eight years after the Iron Curtain came down because the first one was uh, 1992. That was my first assignment in Eastern Europe. Uh, but anyway, um, so honesty was one of those values that um, we said is part of our culture, and, and we have to reinforce and. Um, up to this point, uh, we had a very successful recruiting strategy of getting graduates out of local business school and become uh, and joining our marketing department. We were a pretty good marketing company, so we had a good draw. Uh, so we got a lot of you know interns that turned into um, you know marketing folks that came to our marketing department, and um, we're doing real well. And then probably about two years into it, people started to recruit our guys. Right, so they were starting to headhunt the folks out of our marketing department because they recognized that we hired quality folks and trained them. They were pretty good. Um, so one of our star uh, uh, people, one of our star marketing managers um, was getting recruited and he went to his boss, you know, Paul, uh, who reported to me and, and Paul came to me and says, look, uh, Thomas is getting uh, recruited. Um, and, and what should I tell him? So, you know, it took me like, you know, I felt like an eternity, but it was probably about a five-second pause before I answered it. I said, Paul, just be honest with the guy. You know, be honest with the guy to say, look, you know, I, I can't give you more money because, you know, this would happen already after budgets were approved. Um, but what we can offer you is, is we can offer you a potential international assignment on the road. I mean, that's why you came to this company. We're, we're an international company. That's, that's a good ticket to get out of Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So, look, I can't guarantee you a promotion, but I know you're a good guy. You're a star, and and eventually you you will you know get promoted. And eventually, the guy did get promoted. They went to Holland. They went to the U.S. Uh, so he had a, you know had a couple of promotions. But I just said, be honest with the guy. You know, don't tell him some bunch of baloney. You know, just to keep him for another two or three months because you'll lose him anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So that that kind of did in my mind. It did two things. You know, first of all. Um, it reinforced the honesty with, with, with the marketing manager, but mm -hmm. equally, it also reinforced the honesty with Paul. Because now Paul knows that, you know, next time it comes to him, 
I'm going to be just as honest with him as I was with the guy that reported to him. Right. right? So, but that's kind of one of those things where, you know, it's in a culture, you know, it's a word, it's a buzzword, right? Mm-hmm. Now, okay, yeah, who doesn't like honesty? Right. It's a value, right? Everybody. But then, you know, what, when situations come up, uh, that's when your values get put to test. Yep. And how do you react under stress? How do you react under, you know, when you're, you're confronted with choices, how, how do you choose? And if, if you have strong values, then you choose the right way. If your values are just a bulletin board on the, on the wall, then you'll come up with something that's, that's not right. Yeah. That seems good in the moment or something that seems yeah. or easy or whatever the, the reasons for, because sometimes honesty is not easy. Yeah, it was, you know, they call it a white lie or something like that, you know, a little, little fib. I mean, and it, it's all relative. And, um, you know, it's, you know, where are we are in society about, you know, relative truth. I mean, w- one of the things that I talk about in C-Suite, it's, it's not a, it's not a faith-based book, but it's, it's based on biblical principles. You know, like honesty, it's a biblical principle. It's not something that, you know, but one of the, the challenges that we have today, uh, especially with the younger generation is, Truth is no longer absolute. Truth, truth is relative. Mm-hmm. Truth is what is your truth? And your truth may be different than my truth. And then all, we have all these arguments because I think my truth is, is the right one and you think your truth is the right one. But we're not benchmarking our version of truth or absolute truth. Yeah. So everything becomes relative. And then it becomes, you know, a sliding scale. I, I remember, you know, I used to call it the salami effect in um when I, one of the first jobs I had was, you know, Colgate Palmolive, uh, and this, you know, I'm not doing any trade secrets here, but back in the 1980s, uh, Colgate was still a, um, you know, they were in detergents at that time. Uh, they're, they kind of got out of the detergent business since then, but they, they would launch this great product and um, it would work fantastic and they would have record sales with it. And then about, you know, nine months after the launch, somebody would come and said, well, if we just take a little bit of the, the active ingredients out of it, um, the customer probably doesn't know. So we'll test it. So they kind of cut back on the ingredients and tested it, customer didn't notice, and then, you know, they keep selling. So, but now they made more money because there was less active ingredients in it. So they would go through like three or four iterations of that, of, you know, slicing the salami. Right? Yep. And, and then all of a sudden, one day somebody wakes up and nobody's buying a product. <laughs> right? Why? Well... <laughs> It doesn't work anymore. You took all the active ingredients out of it, right? But, but this was kind of a, you know, example of, of relative truth, right? I mean, the absolute truth was you launched the product with a great formula and it worked fantastic. And then, you know, it became a relative truth. And so, oh, well, let's take some of this out. Let's take some of this out. Let's take some of this out. And before you know, you look and the product is a bomb and it doesn't sell anymore because it doesn't work anymore. Right. That's pretty much what's happening, you know, with, with society today where everything is relatively truth and, you know, those absolute truths about honesty, about, you know, whether you call that integrity, which I agree is just now a buzzword because, you know, integrity means very different things to many different people. But you you kind of look at those absolute truths and say, they really have changed and it became relative truths. And it's whatever feels good to you. You know, I mean, you're, you're from Washington, but in California, one of the things when I first went to California, it took me about three months to control myself. But everywhere I came into a discussion it was like, it's all good, Tom. It's all good. You know, after I heard this like two, three dozen times, I finally said, no, it's not all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get that. Uh, 
Yep. Yeah. And I, I really, I like that example is that, you know, you start someplace and then you just keep whacking, just taking a slice and a yep. little bit off and pretty soon you have nothing, yep. nothing left. And there, there, there are so many places that, that is happening. And, you know, to, to be able to stop that and, and say, let's, let's get back to that level of honesty, that absolute truth. And doing what you said you were going to do. What a novel idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. doing what you said you would do. I know. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Well, we're just about out of time somehow. So I'm going to have to have you back again in the near future, Tom. So, we can go yeah, because we we only we only we, we spent twenty minutes talking about the first principle. We got four others to do. So. <laughs> so maybe we'll just make this a quarterly thing, and we'll we'll talk about the quarter. You know, um, but definitely would love to have you back, and we'll we'll talk some more about this. Anything you would like to say as we finish up? Uh, no. Uh, Again, the, you know, the, the book, Sea Sweet Beyond, um, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you like it. It hasn't been canceled yet by cancer culture, so <laughs> you, can still, you can still find it out there. And, and again, I would encourage you, I mean, if, if you guys want to contact me, I can just uh, email somebody a, a complimentary, you know, what I call an executive summary. If you don't want to buy the book, if you do want to buy the book, um, it's available. And um, again, it's a, it's a learning of how to become a successful leader and it's not just the principles that I've used but it's also the principles when I looked at other leaders you know they, we all shared those common four principles um, whether you're a CEO of VMware or you know Microsoft or whatever everybody shares those principles so they they are successful they're very easy but they're very difficult to implement so yeah yeah thanks for having me on well thank you and um, yes I will We'll come in, uh, I'll get the link from, and then we'll post it on our, when we post this. We'll post it when we post <laughs> this. So it's like, I was trying to think of another word. but <laughs> We'll share it when we post this. There we go. All right. So thanks, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Leadership Reimagined. Now is the time to reimagine your leadership. Take a minute and go to reimagineyourleadership.com and I'll call you. We'll have powerful conversations. You'll take action. Yes, there are always actions to take. Your business will expand and I guarantee you'll have fun at the same time. I know, shouldn't it be fun? If it's not fun, why are you doing it?